What's up, Fish Sauce family? It's Wilson. And Elton. And we're back with another episode of Fish Sauce. Join us on a journey into the minds of successful founders, operators, and investors. As you learn about their secret sauce, we hope you find yours too. In this final episode of the Female Founder Series, we talk with Maureen Fan, who's always dreamt of pursuing a career in animations, and she's always struggled between a practical path versus a more creative one. During her time at HBS, she interned at her dream company, Pixar. Afterwards, she joined Zynga and rose the ranks from product manager to VP of games, reporting directly to the CEO, Mark Pincus. During her time at Zynga, she was inspired by the potential and immersive experience of VR, so she took the leap of faith to build Baobob, the next Pixar for VR. What's Maureen's secret sauce? Listen to the episode to find out. Big thanks to my classmate Derek Sue for making the intro. Guten Appetit. Welcome, Maureen, to Fish Sauce. Elton and I are super excited to have you today. Thank you. And we've read a lot about you from your recent Reddit, Ask Me Anything, to learning about your experience at eBay, to Pixar, to Zynga, and now at Baobao. Baobao. And we heard a lot about it, but we want to hear your experience through your own words. I wanted to be an animator my entire life, inspired by Final Fantasy VIII, though mine mm. is my favorite. Um, so designed my major at Stanford to be art, computer science, and psychology, do animation. My entire parents told me that I'd be poor and destitute if I went into animation, so forbade it. So instead, I went to eBay as a UI designer. I was there for five years, cultural anthropology product management, but nights and weekends still did animation at community college, whatever I could do because I was just waiting for the day to follow my dream. And I decided to go get my MFA, but the deadlines had passed for that. And round three of business school was still available. So my mom was like, why don't you apply to business school? I said, because I hate business. But I applied like a dutiful Asian daughter. I got in and was going to say no to Harvard. But my boss at the time, Susan, told me, don't be an idiot. You just think Hollywood's sexy, but you don't actually know what's about. Go try it out before saying no to Harvard. So I got internships down in LA and realized that everything was a business at the end of the day. So I ended up going to HBS. And during that time, I went to Pixar as an intern on Toy Story 3 in production. They really wanted me to go into the finance side, but I was like, no, I want to be making minimum wage, being production, getting cool coffee. And then when I graduated, I decided to go to Zynga because I wanted to be part of an industry that was growing rather than splitting up a pie. So I joined Zynga right when they started. So in 2009, was there for six years, moved up to vice president of games, looking over the Farmville franchise which is about 40% of the company's revenues, but I still loved animation. So nights and weekends, I worked with my friends, Dyson Robert, ex-Pixar art directors, and worked on a short film called The Damn Keeper, which got nominated for an Oscar. And so when VR came along, the first time I tried on VR, honestly, I hated it because it was live action, and all I could notice was the poor resolution in the pixels. But my devs at Zynga hacked our game into VR just for fun. I realized this is a future of animation because... You have suspension of disbelief in animation, you're not comparing it to reality, like high-def te- television or the way your eyes naturally see. So I realized I need to go start this as soon as possible. Everything from my background, from eBay to Zynga to HBS, all conspired to help me make this happen. So it was a very circuitous route. I didn't really know exactly what I was doing the whole time, but it ended up all helping me get to where I am now. Like any good Asian, you always had a side hustle and something else that you were working on, right? <laughs> a side income yeah, or like creative outlet. Entertainment is supposed to be a hobby. Yeah. But I showed my mom. You made a business. <laughs> it. That's awesome. What is Baobab and what does Baobab do? 
We are the leading VR animation studio. It's co-founded by me, Eric Darnell, who is the director and writer for all four Madagascar films, and Larry Cutler, our CTO, who is the head of character technology at DreamWorks and also early Pixar days on Toy Story 2 and Monsters. And we have three pieces out right now. Our first piece, Invasion, just won the Emmy and became one of the top downloaded VR experiences of all time. That was starring Ethan Hawke. Asteroids, which was our second one that premiered at Sundance Film Festival, was starring Elizabeth Banks. And our most recent VR experience called Rainbow Crow, which premiered at Cannes and also Tribeca Film Festival, is starring John Legend, Constance Wu, and Diego Luna. And your mission is? Our mission is to inspire people to dream by bringing out their sense of wonder. Love it. Your guys' studio is an animation studio. You guys create content. So how are you balanced between creating things that you guys want to create versus creating things that just for people that want to have it? You know, it's kind of like taking pictures, right? Like taking up pictures for the sake of your audience or for yourself. How do you balance that with animation and content creation? Well, the nice thing for me is that I love animation more than anything, as evidenced by my career. And the reason why I love animation is because so many times in life, I feel as you get older, society tries to get you to conform to societal values of many fame, fortune, power, beauty. And even like climbing the ladder at in the corporate job or even business school, there's always pressure. Even my mom telling me that I can't do what I love because that's not the practical path. But when I'm watching an animated film, I think anything is possible I, because it brings you back to that five-year-old in you when you thought you could do anything. And it, it takes you back to that time where you dreamed and believed that you had a lot more potential than you have. So it makes me, after I watch an animated film or play an animated game, I actually leave feeling so inspired that I can go after my dreams. So that's what I wish upon people. <laughs> it's funny because a lot of my VC friends from HBS actually told me to take that part out of my deck because they thought it was too idealistic and VCs wouldn't like that. But I said to them, well, if this VC doesn't like me because of that, then they're not the right VC for me. So I think all animation to me, it has that potential. So lucky for me, I like all animation, but it is a business at the end of the day, which means you are creating stuff for ultimate audiences. And so we want to bring people into our company that their personal taste is also that of what people like. And I think it's very necessary in VR, especially right now. It's interesting because we're in the early adopter market phase, trough of disillusionment thing. Mm -hmm. So there's always a tension of should we be marketing or creating products for these early adopters or for the future market for people who are going to come into VR? And the answer is depends on how long you think the trough is going to be. People were thought that Invasion, well, they questioned whether Invasion, our first piece, would do well because it's animated, it's not a hardcore game, and the expectation is that VR headsets are for hardcore games right now. It's marketed towards hardcore gamers. So we were really surprised, as were the distributors, when Invasion became the top downloaded VR experience across the different platforms. And they learned, like, oh my gosh, VR is not just for hardcore games. People like animation, they like comedy, they like this lighthearted stuff. And now there's all these stats coming out about what percentage of experiences are actually non-hardcore games like ours, and that tends to be driving a lot of the growth. So we need more types of content like this, like that's universally appealing to bring more people into VR and to make VR a a real business. Switching gears a little bit, we do want to deep dive into your upbringing a little bit more. We're interested in learning about how being Asian American and female has uniquely affect your personal and career growth. So if you could share a little about your ethnic background and sort of your upbringing and how those values kind of shape who you are 
My mom is from Hong Kong and my dad is from Taiwan. So they came over here for higher education. Very practical people. I grew up in New Jersey and there were hardly any Asians in my town. Though I went to Chinese school where I then met lots of Chinese people who were at Saturday, Taiwanese Sunday. Sunday. Sunday Sunday Chinese classes. I learned Chinese with the Taiwanese accent. Like I don't know how to curl my tongue, but I thought that was normal because it's all Taiwanese people in New Jersey apparently. Do you speak Cantonese or no? I understand Cantonese. It was my first language, but I lost it all. I can understand. I can't speak. Can you dim sum? Yes. Good. (laughs) I can speak Mandarin at a junior high level and deeply regret not going to Love Boat. But I lived in, I did live in Shanghai and Beijing uh, for eBay and also Zynga at different periods of time. I think it's it's really confusing growing up Asian American because a lot of the values that you learn in Asian cultures, like being super humble and respecting hierarchy and like never complimenting yourself. And to be an entrepreneur in a way is almost opposite. You have to speak up a lot. You have to pretend like you're awesome, even if you don't think you're awesome. And you're not supposed to respect hierarchy. You just break all the rules and all that. So it honestly was very confusing <laughs> to me growing up. I still don't know, honestly, to this day, how to merge the two perfectly, except that I've some values of like education and hard work and still being humble. I try to take the best of both cultures, but I do think it was quite confusing. And I sometimes wonder also from the perspective of Chinese or Taiwanese people, are they like that in China and Taiwan? Or is it just those that moved over? Because a lot of people who moved over here came for higher education. So of course, they care a lot about education. Though I know Asian cultures in general tend to care a lot about education. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to say what's the Asian American experience versus what would be the Asian experience if I grew up in China or Taiwan. So it's difficult for me to make broad generalizations about that. I do think at business school, I was in analytics, which is math camp, because I didn't come from a traditional banking or consultant background to go to HBS. And she actually said to our class that women, you guys tend to speak up less. And that's really bad at HBS because it's half of your grade is class participation. So they said, you need to speak up. And then she said, you Asian women, you tend to speak up even less because in Asian cultures, I guess, to be attractive women, you're supposed to be a certain way. And the one thing also is interesting. It's really difficult, at least for me at HBS to speak up high conviction when I have low certainty. Yeah. It's really difficult. And that bar... Basically what women are like. Um, <laughs> the... The research shows it's not a judgment. It, it's the research shows that if a man is like twenty percent, I'm exaggerating, but if a man's twenty percent sure, he'll say it with one hundred percent confidence. Versus a woman is eight percent sure, she'll say I'm not sure, but right. And it's nobody's fault. It's how we as women are socialized. It's what what does it mean to be an attractive woman? What are attractive traits in a woman? And You think about what are the attractive traits of being a leader? They are not the same. So being humble and sweet or all these things are attractive. Being aggressive, which is oftentimes what people associate with leaders is not, would not be attractive female traits. So as a woman, you have to choose, would I prefer to be respected and seen as competent or would I, do I prefer to be liked? And it sucks that you have to make this decision versus men don't. They show that men, the more competent and more competent you're seen, the more you're also liked versus it's inversely correlated for women. So you have to make a decision and that sucks. But what something I've learned is be aggressive upwards, 
but be yourself downward. <laughs> so mm, to that's have a good the one. best of both worlds. It was actually Tim Letourneau, who is one of the heads of The Sims. He was a chief creative officer at Zynga. And he taught me, like after we launched Farmville 2 and it was doing super well, he said, Maureen, okay, now I want you to send an email to Mark Pincus, who's my current investor. And he's like, send an email to Mark saying that, you want even more resources because you can do even better. I was like, oh no, I don't want to ask for that. But the reaction was awesome because then someone like Mark would see me as, oh my gosh, Maureen's not happy with excellence because Farnville 2 killed it and crushed all the numbers. He's like, Maureen's not even okay with awesomeness. She wants to be even more awesome. That's so great. She has a leader-like spirit. Yes, here are the resources. So then I realized I should just keep on being aggressive upwards because before that, before I got that advice, I kept on getting the feedback that I talked, my voice was too high when I spoke, that I didn't dress right, which is ridiculous to keep out a man ever getting that kind of feedback, right? What do you mean but, you didn't dress right? Because I would wear t-shirts sometimes and I need to dress up more mature. So I was getting, I kept on getting feedback about my style and the research also shows that women get feedback on their style and women are rated on their past accomplishments versus men are rated more on their potential, which is also not fair. So I had to learn all these things to adapt to the environment. And I also made sure that in e-staff meetings, I forced myself to say at least one thing because it was very alpha male and being Asian and being a woman, I wasn't used to that, but I, I gained this muscle of how to do it. So that really helped me I don't know how being Asian in particular affected that, but I can say that the Asian network in particular has helped me for sure in being an entrepreneur. And we just had a photo shoot. It was awesome. For Taiwanese, what we call the Taiwanese Mafia. Cool. There's a Taiwanese Mafia like Charles Huang and Kai. They found like Guitar Hero and then Steve Chang, who I told you about, and Jameson, who was the head of like... Uh, 10 cent WeChat stuff. So we recently had a photo shoot. Someone from Taiwan came over to do a photo shoot of us together. Mm. So we just all met. And then afterwards, of course, we went to a tiny Taiwanese restaurant and all that. Yeah. Um, our latest VR project that premiered at Tribeca and Cannes is starring John Legend, Constance Wu, and Diego Luna. So we purposely only cast females and minorities. Constance, I'm a big fan of because I watched Fresh Off the Boat. And yeah. I was like, I want her. She's amazing. <laughs> One thing that I think will be useful is China is becoming a superpower. So especially in entertainment, China, Chinese box office actually has exceeded that of Western markets. And so that's why all of Hollywood is always looking to Hollywood. I mean, is always looking to China now, just tons of crossover and having Chinese investment and being Chinese, I'm sure gives me some of it, what of an advantage there. Though the fact that I can't speak very well, I think hurts me. I've been told to not even try because if you speak with broken Chinese, they're like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> because you look Asian. So they say to just like pretend like you don't speak at all. But I don't know. I'm sure I can bond more at a cultural level. Yeah, the relatability amongst Asian American communities is insane, right? You just feel more comfortable being around it, and whether it's in the workplace or with friend groups and things like that. Yes, but I also think that could be bad. And of course, the reason yeah. why I think it's bad is growing up on the East Coast, because there were fewer Asians there or where I was, I was forced to assimilate. But that is what helped me understand different cultures more. And I was excited when I came to California because I thought, oh my gosh, there's going to be so many Asians and it's going to be like me. But I actually got some comments from Asians when I was at Stanford why I hung out with non-Asian people because it's very easy to hang out with people like yourself. And this is what I think needs to happen with the like 
Democrat Republican thing to you. I'm like, I need to go move out <laughs> and like empathize and understand and have conversations. So sometimes you have to force yourself outside your comfort zone. And so there is a tendency, I think, sometimes in the barrier to congregate. And I think it's important for us to to have conversations with people that aren't like us. So going to the next question, growing up and going through your professional experiences, it seemed like you, you've had a lot of growth professionally and figuring out how to be a female within the workplace as well as an Asian within the workplace. And now you're a CEO of a company with a majority male, I guess, executive team as well as non-Asian executive team, right? Yes, my two co-founders are male. Who, who is Maureen today and how do you work with a diverse culture? Honestly, it's not much different from what I've done in the past because most of tech and gaming and entertainment is male-dominated. I do tend to notice that the teams that I manage or lead tend to have more minorities and women in it. And I don't do that on purpose. It's almost saying that I am biased in a way, just like everyone's biased. People like to hire people that are comfortable and they're comfortable people that are like them, who have shared experiences. So maybe I naturally hire people like that because I myself am biased. So it's like nobody's fault, but we should recognize our biases and do something about that. Diversity is super important, not only from a female, male, race perspective, but a good blend of introverts versus extroverts. And also, like, what does it mean to be a leader? It shouldn't always be Trump-like people <laughs> that are, are leaders who are, like, loud and in this way. And I think the reason I learned this is by being constantly the minority, being the woman, being the Asian, but also this pressure in my life to always be, are you a suit or are you creative? Everywhere I went, whether it's Hollywood, business school, they're like, oh, you're the California creative. And then at Pixar, I was a business school student, so I was a suit. And then at Zynga, they're like, I don't know how to bucket you because you have business school and the creative side, right? And I think you need diverse points of view in order to create the, have the best decision. And so for me, the way I view hiring and managing is making sure that I hire people that are different from myself and different from each other. So I can have that perspective. So it's very similar, but even if I'm the CEO, I have male investors and male, possibly some board members. And most of the time when I'm doing BD, honestly, it's men white men that I'm dealing with. So one thing that can be difficult at times is feeling like I'm always underestimated at first glance and that I have to prove myself, which sucks. I, I oftentimes make the joke that if I were a white man, I'd be president. I think it's much more important to educate men than it is to educate women because if the men are the one in power, they are the ones who have to change the system and the rules. Like, otherwise, if it's just women educating each other, we just sit here and get upset. That's what they teach us in business school many times. <laughs> Quick question, though. Like, a lot of the challenges you just mentioned, are they generally applicable to tech as an industry or any of them uniquely specific to gaming, VR? I think, I don't know because I haven't worked at every single tech company. I can say eBay was pretty good. But I think in general, the reputation for tech is just to be more male dominated and the reputation for gaming and entertainment is to be even more so, which is unfortunate because I think entertainment industry has the most power to affect change. Just even seeing an Asian show like Fresh Off the Boat made me feel accepted. Like I grew up here, I was raised, born here, but seeing a star, like a main character show about that made me feel 
that I mattered or people saw me. Finally, I'm accepted. Do you have any advice for your younger Maureen self or those who are in those positions? What advice would they give them? And what are some things you would have changed if you had to go back in time? Get to the rage quit level where you have the balls and go yell at someone. No, um, well, it's different for men and women. I think it's just, well, the mission of our company is to inspire people to dream because I think people have much more potential than they realize they have. So just assume you're badass. And the way I think about it now is um, my manager, well, I don't have one now, but I thought about it as my manager's job is to help me move up. And the way I think about my VCs now is my VC should be honored that I let them give me money. <laughs> they work for me. So just always having that attitude really helps. So that means that I'm always asking for help or asking for things because as a woman or Asian, I didn't want to ask for things because I don't want to pose as rude or I should go and get if I deserve it. But then when I was managing all these dudes, they would be asking for stuff all the time. They asking for a promotion all the time. And so when like promotion cycle comes and I get this tiny last little bucket of money and I have to decide who to give it to, I will remember the squeaky wheel who every single week kept on asking me for more money versus the women who didn't ask for anything because they thought they would deserve it. So I would actually go against myself and tell the women like you should be asking me for a promotion and more money let's train you on doing that having that conversation so it taught me to always be asking because if I felt entitled and I deserved it let's say everyone should be more like millennials but if you if you don't ask for stuff you don't get it and then it's realizing that I deserve that thing and believing that you deserve it and it came to a point where I felt like if I'm happy that's good for the company because I'm, I have confidence that I'm good. And if I'm doing the thing that I enjoy and then compensated in a fair way, then I will do my best and that will reward the company and will make the company money. So my happiness also matters, which is very not Asian. <laughs> that's why it's very conflicting, but I found that it's really helped in American entrepreneurship to think in that way. Like even fundraising, you have to, you know, the start Silicon Valley episode, second season where you put his balls on the table. <laughs> I don't think you should do that, but there's an element of acting really confident that people want to invest in winners and leaders. And right now the perception of a winner or leader is someone who is very confident. Ideally, you actually believe that you're awesome. For, for us, you're the definition of fish sauce, right? <laughs> the secret sauce that we try to find in every single so guest. Yes, I love fish sauce. We all love fish sauce too. <laughs> we eat it every single day. What would you say is your secret sauce? I think you touched upon a lot of leadership traits, you being a little bit different, confident, authentic. I think it's not accepting the world for the way it is and making the world conform to what you want. <laughs> and the way you do that is by asking. So I have a motto, which is always be asking. So I'm always asking people to help me. If I want something, I go ask for it. And the worst thing is they say no, but they thought it was cool that I asked for it. And what I was saying earlier about being bucketed, conforming to society, people will tell you the way you should be, that you should be making money or going through a safer choice or not marrying for love or whatever it is to make the easier path to get you to be a certain way, super creative or leader, woman, female. And you don't have to buy into any of those things. You don't have to. In fact, if you just, you have to realize that what you want is possible and that you have it within you to make that possible if you just believed in yourself. So 
believe in yourself and always be asking. <laughs> and um, I guess the really last question we have is, um, what's your secret sauce, like actually your secret sauce in terms of food? Oh, I'm pre-diabetic and <laughs> too much sugar, but it would be sugar. I eat too much sugar. I love, I love pearl tea. It's my oh. thing. Though my favorite food is actually New Jersey corn because New Jersey is the best state in the nation. New Jersey corn, New Jersey tomatoes. But if there was an ingredient, it's sugar. <laughs> it's watermelon, sweet corn, lychees, dan tots. It's also hamona barico, But they all tend to have sweet things. We could go to Boba Guys right after this and get some. They don't have honey green tea without milk. Really? I don't like milk in my thing. They need to change that. Andrew and Ben, let them know. They'll be listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fish Sauce. For a behind-the-scenes look and special surprises, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and join our email newsletter on our website. Also, if this episode resonates with you, please leave a review on iTunes and share this episode with one of your friends. Finally, shout out to our amazing editor, Christian Edwards, for making us sound better than we actually are in every single episode of Fish Sauce. What's What's your your secret secret sauce? sauce?